This next episode of Love Your City podcast contains references to sex trafficking and sexual abuse and trauma and may have some triggering effects. Good afternoon, Sam. Um, we're about to listen to another exciting episode of Love Your City. Yeah. Are you ready for it? I don't know if I am for this. <laughs> well, I have listened to it because yes. I, you know, I do my preparation. Um, this is the last of, of the interview, not the last of all the interviews, but no. last of the ones we're going to put on the podcast uh, yes. with Becca. Yeah. Um, no, I, I, I didn't enjoy this one. Not like it was a very powerful story, mm. but it, yeah, I mean to enjoy and and to enjoy listening to something sometimes. And it's okay not to enjoy it mm. um, because it was it was quite um, confronting. Yeah. I mean, I had to sit there and listen to her. But as I was, I mean, as you'll hear, she talks very fluently and fast. Mm. <laughs> and I just sat there thinking, how are you even yeah. alive? Yeah. Um, just amazed by the fact of the human spirit, what mm. it can endure <laughs> yeah. over a lifetime. Absolutely. And come out the other end. And she's actually gone and got educate, educated in criminal law and mm. now helping... Um, police officers um, wow. fight crimes, and um, so yeah, mm. she's recovered well. <laughs> yeah, it's it's extraordinary, and like you said, she just speaks so so not nonchalantly about stuff that is just hugely traumatic. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's testimony to the grace of God that she's able to to mm-hmm. do that. I also love about this one though that she's she's not just presenting herself as a, as a trophy story like sh- look how great mm. you know, look how much my life was sucked and now mm. how great it is but she's using her experience to uh, inform educate inspire yeah. help <laughs> yeah. heal so many others yeah. and so uh, great interview really really good interview cool um, let's listen well here i am with um becca charleston uh, from dallas texas well Fort yes. Worth, effectively, <laughs> um, and I know that place well, having lived there for a while, but we're both at the Coalition to End Sexual Exploitation Summit. Mm-hmm. How's it been for you so far? It's been wonderful. I've had so many side meetings and yes. lots of great networking and stuff. It's, it's a joy to be here. Yeah, no, and I'm, I'm grabbing you because somebody just pointed to me and said, there's the lady who's suing the state of Nevada. And I thought, <laughs> gee, we need to have a conversation with her. Yeah. Um, so maybe just tell us back... Um, Originally, it all started because you were trafficked. How did that happen? Yeah, I was actually trafficked through the legal system of brothels in Nevada, but that was just a portion of my experience. I was born in Dallas, and my family moved to Fort Worth, a small, quiet suburb um, north of Fort Worth when I was about five years old, and uh, that's the year that my brother committed suicide, and life began to change for me. Uh, Our family tried to recover the best they could, and um, I wound up having a lot of significant life events, like being raped at a church lock-in, and just a lot of negative life experiences and I had no way to process any of that trauma. I didn't have anyone to talk to. Uh, My family was very closed mouth about it. You know, they were more, let's just sweep it under the rug and put a smile on our face and tell everyone we're fine when they ask how we're doing. And so um, within about a year's time of being raped, I wound up coping with drugs. I just wanted to be numb. You know, I didn't want to feel myself. And 
So my parents uh, wound up being terrified of what to do, and so they signed over their legal rights of me and placed me in an institution And at the age of 16, and that to me, they were doing the best they could. They yep. didn't know how to help me, and they yep. thought maybe these people did, but to me what it felt like was betrayal and abandonment Absolutely. and rejection. And so I vowed to do whatever I could to get out of that program, and that's exactly what I did. I had a home visit for good behavior at the six month mark and that's when I took my chance and I, I ran and I never looked back. To me, my family was dead to me. I hated yeah. them for yeah. what they'd done and so that got me in some really terrible situations. I started just living with whoever would take me in. I was stealing food in order to survive every day. High school dropout, can't get a job at this point. And it wasn't long before I met my first trafficker who seemed like a great guy. Hmm. You know, I thought he was going to be my boyfriend and he was going to stabilize me and give me a safe place to stay. And it wasn't until the second night that I would realize what that was going to cost me in the form of my dignity and my body. Yeah. And I found myself in the backseat of a car on Harry Hines Boulevard being told exactly how to ask people if they want to have sex with me and exactly how much money I had to charge them. And it was just like my entire world flipped upside down on top of me. <laughs> you know, I had no idea what to do. I, I thought if I ran that I I would get raped and murdered and chopped up in little pieces and no one would ever find my body and and so I stayed and I obeyed them and wow. I was starved I was only given enough money to stop at the gas station each day and get a candy bar and a coke on my way to work and hmm. forced to work all night and then go back to the apartment and shower and sleep all day and wake up and repeat and I got really suicidal I, I felt yeah. disgusting I, I felt bet. lower than dirt at one point, a couple months in, I thought I was getting away and I ran into the arms of another man who would turn around and abuse me and exploit me all over the country for the next 10 years of my life. So what did you just drive around the country or fly or how did you? Um, both. both. It just depended. He in the in the beginning, he would send always send the younger victims with the older, more seasoned victims so that they could control them and take all their money at the end of the night. But then once you've been in the game a while, you get on what's called automatic or, you know, you become seasoned and the trafficker is allowed to send you, you know, he sends you without maybe any supervision. I love I get to do presentations today with Dr. Chris Wilson on the neurobiology yeah. of trafficking. Yeah. And I love love what he calls, um, because I think a lot of people, you know, they, they look and they're like, well, the trafficker isn't always with you. Yeah. You know, why can't you get away? Yeah. You know, in those moments, he's not there. And Dr. Chris Wilson's, he, what he calls domestic violence is he calls it intimate terrorism. And, you know, when you think about what is terrorism designed to do, it's mm. designed to instill fear, yep. but it's designed to instill fear even when the threat is no longer present. Yeah. And that's exactly what human trafficking is, that even when the trafficker isn't physically there, you're so trapped mentally and you're so afraid because they follow you. You know, at one point we thought he had a camera in our cars. It was like he was inside of our mind and knew our thoughts, you know, and I, honestly, you know, when I get that question, like, why didn't you just yeah, run? Yeah. You know, I like, you know. My number one thought every day was, how do I not get beat today? Totally. How do yeah. I make it through today? And so we can have those sweet honeymoon moments, right? Because, of course, it's not all bad. No. Traffickers are skilled at applying just enough love and then yep. removing it and applying force through yeah. coercion or whatever. And, and then, uh, then applying love again. Yeah. So you don't run. Yeah. So how long were you trafficked for? For more than a decade. More than a decade. Wow. Yeah. I wasn't able to... I wasn't able to get away until the federal authorities became involved. Okay. I wound up serving 13 months in federal prison because I was too terrified to tell on my trafficker. So they charged me and the two other victims <laughs> along with him. They charged us all equally with conspiracy to commit tax evasion because none of us would talk. We were all yeah. too scared and because they treated us like criminals. Yeah. There was no victim-centered approach. No. All they did was come and threaten us, which is exactly, it made our trafficker the truth teller. Yeah. That's exactly what he told us they would do. And so 
when they treated us like criminals, all we did was clam up and say lawyer. And that's the only word he had beaten into us to say. The only word you can say is lawyer. And so um, unfortunately for them and myself, I kept my mouth shut and I still went back to him. It wasn't until a full two years after I got out of prison mm. that he turned himself in to serve time on the same indictment that I finally, I knew I had 24 months to start my life over and run and hide and change my identity before he hunted me down and killed me. How are you sitting here in your right mind? <laughs> you are amazing. I mean, you oh, know, for me, amazing. it's honestly, faith was a huge part yeah. of my journey. I Once I got out, um, I was facing all these barriers, right? Been arrested 10 times, have a federal felony, you know, um, no job experience at all. Huge gap in employment. Um, uh, I forgot what I was going to say. Um, mm. But it, just a variety of issues that we face in trying yeah. to leave. And so I stayed in. I thought yeah. I could do it for myself. You know, I knew how much money I could make and that I could make all that money for myself. But, yeah. you know, the daily realities of what it's like working in prostitution and sex trafficking are horrific. Mm. I'm, I've been raped more times than I care to count, mm. robbed mm. at gunpoint, strangled with a gun to my head, been in so many fistfights with grown men, running out of rooms with my clothes in my hand, getting dressed in the stairwell, mm. as I can hear the man still screaming because I maced him in his eyeballs while he tried to violently rape me. Mm. How many times I found guns in hotel rooms? How many women I know that have been murdered by the people yeah. that buy them? are by their traffickers and so it without someone breathing down my neck forcing me to do it I just hated it I got (laughs) addicted to drugs again and just I floundered and for me I wasn't able to truly get out and and make a new way and I I got in a dysfunctional relationship that was slightly less dysfunctional you know each time (laughs) and (laughs) and so I was able to finally get out of the life and get clean and about a year later I got pregnant And that for me changed everything. I I realized that wasn't the environment I wanted to raise a baby in. And so I called my family in Texas and January 7th, 2012, I moved back home, you know, slept on my mom and dad's couch. That's what people don't understand is exiting the life means you have to choose poverty most often at first. And I had to get on Medicaid. I had to get on food stamps and it was hard. It was Mm -hmm. a lot of tough decisions, but I knew I had to do something different so that I could raise my son so that he would never become a part of the problem. And your parents accepted you? They did, yeah. They did, wow. they did um, you know, when I was in prison, that was the first time we kind of yeah. had a bridge built okay. between our relationship, and they really stood by me and didn't push me and didn't ask me questions. They just accepted me for the first time yep. and wow. loved on me. Okay. Yeah. wow. So tell us about the lawsuit you've mm-hmm. got going against the state of Nevada. What's um, mm-hmm. what are you hoping to accomplish through that? Well, um, you know, one of the one of the main things I wanted to make sure was that I didn't receive any money from the civil suit. Yeah. Um, what I what I wanted to is to set up a fund. Yep. So we have a minimum of a two million dollar fund that will be set up if we're successful. Mm-hmm. That will provide exit services for the yeah. women working in the brothels. You know, we've seen like with the passage of FOSTA SESTA and kind of with hindsight how, you know, we took sure. It was was a, a big victory to be able to hold websites accountable, but yep. we took away a form of income yes. without providing yep. services. Absolutely. And yep. so we really forced them into possibly more dangerous scenarios. Yep. And that was an unintended consequence. Yep. And so with this lawsuit, we're trying to right that wrong from the beginning yep. and have those funds available for okay. those services. So, but I'm um, honestly, at the end of the day, I, I, I believe we have to demand dignity. Yeah. I think every human being yeah. has value and dignity. And I think sex is something beautiful that should yeah. happen between consent adults but it should never be part of a job I think when you introduce an influencer as powerful as money that choice goes out the window absolutely so what are you actually suing them for just because most 
people listening to this is Australians and so just so Australians know the state of Nevada has legalized prostitution so what are you suing them exactly and in Nevada the counties with less than 700,000 people have the option to say whether prostitution is legal or illegal and so seven counties in Nevada have said that we want prostitution and out of that then there's 21 brothels within those seven counties but what it's done is it's increased the illegal market in Nevada 63% higher than any other state because every Everyone thinks it's legal in the entire state, which it's not. Yep. So in the legal brothels, you know, there's a ton of work right violations that take place. Yeah. Um, I, I know that firsthand because I was trafficked in their brothels. Our trafficker would actually send us there as a form of punishment. When we were getting arrested too much or weren't making enough money, he would essentially pay half of his money, right, half of his income yeah. to another pimp to control us. And so I know exactly what it's like, you know, being lined up like cattle every Thursday for your weekly mm. pap smear and, mm. you know, your blood being checked every month while they never check the customers coming in. I mean, those yeah. are the ones bringing the diseases exactly. in, let's be honest here. Yeah. And so it's not safe. You know, people try yeah. to say it's safe and there's listening devices in the room where if you, if you turn down a certain number of clients, you're getting kicked out, which yeah. means if I don't say yes, yeah. then I don't pay my bills. Yeah. And I don't understand how people don't see that's coercion that there's no choice in that. I know, and this, I mean, in the battle in our own city and state, the biggest thing thrown at us is, well, the women have chosen to be in there, which mm. is the biggest lie. I mean, just yep. hearing your story, it's no choice whatsoever. Exactly. <laughs> um, so you're suing because you were trafficked across states. It, you weren't just in the state of Nevada. Exactly, so their state law is violating the Mann Act and the Interstate Commerce Act okay. because, you know, are any of those women working in the brothel from rural Nevada? Yeah. Of course not, right? Yeah. They're brought in from across the world yeah. as well as the customers. They cross state lines. I mean, Nevada is a sex tourism state. Yeah. People go there to purchase sex. Yeah. And so we, we can't just stand by and, and let that happen. You know, I feel like at some point, unless you're willing to say that it's okay for your mother or your daughter yeah. or your sister to be a prostitute, then how do we look at, you know, these prostituted people, which by and large come from extremely victimized past of being abused as children, of poverty, homelessness, a variety of negative circumstances. And we look at them and say, oh, okay, this is all you're good for. Yeah. It's not right. It. Yeah. So when will you find out um, a decision? We have no idea. No so idea. there's there's no deadline for the judge mm. to make a decision. Okay. Um, we've been doing a lot of stuff. We did the Nevada is not safe video yes. Um, yes, and got great. a little publicity in the New York Post recently. And okay. so we're trying to kind of create national attention to it yes. to hopefully put a little pressure on the judge that this can't just go away. Like yeah. people are noticing and you know, it's really interesting is since we filed the lawsuit, it's become a catalyst. Women that have worked yeah. in the brothels are now suing the brothels yeah. for those worker rights violations. Brilliant. Yeah. yeah. No, well, you're um, paving mm. the way and that takes a lot of courage and guts as well. So um, yeah, I honor you for that. And thank you for just sharing your story. And yeah. we trust that you are successful so you can help many, many more women because um, it's just a huge need. So thank you for your time today, Becca. Sure, thank you. Nice <laughs> to meet you. Tisha, I, I don't um, really know how you can do these interviews and like keep a straight face, and I don't mean that in the obviously in the comedic sense, but just how do you not uh, how do you not weep as you hear these stories? Mm, no, you go away and weep later. Yeah, fair <laughs> enough. You'd actually, I was in one session because it was this conference goes from nine in the morning till ten at night, oh. um, and there was a session on um, racism and porn, and at mm. the end, I just wanted to stand up. Everyone wants to give their ideas and what we should be doing. I just said, I wanted to stand up and say, let's just weep. But yeah. 
wasn't really a Christian conference that might be appropriate, but that's (laughs) (laughs) what I wanted. No matter what your background is, sometimes that's just the appropriate response. Yeah, no, Um, it's pretty full on. I mean, as I I listen to Becca's story, I I think, you know, there are those moments, I think they call them sliding door moments, where life could go one way or the other. And, you know, what what an absolute tragedy that this this young girl was raped at a church lock-in. Like, Mm. that that just seems like so far out of the Mm. realms of possibility, and yet that's my ignorance. Mm Mm-hmm. But then, for the church family to then, to then, for that to happen, but to let her down so mm-hmm. badly and not being what the church should have been, like she said, I had no way to process, I had no no one to talk to, all that sort of thing. So th- there's sort of one moment that the breakdown of her church community uh, mm-hmm. in being there for her in a way that it really should have been. Mm-hmm. Um, that that makes me reflect as well on my own church community and and how much we would be there for s- if that, something like that happened. But then the second one is her family, mm-hmm. and you know I, my heart goes out to her family because that's that's tough to deal with so i don't want to condemn them Mm. but at the same time they weren't there in a way that she needed them to be there for Mm. her and so there's a second breakdown Mm. so the two most important communities arguably in the world certainly in god's kingdom the church community and the family community both let her down and what might have been possible if that didn't happen yeah no i think it's an area that we can still grow in um learning how to come around the brokenness and the pain Mm. um yeah, I, I think we've still got a lot to learn yeah. in that area. Yep. Uh, it's not always easy because, yes, uh, hurt people can really push the boundaries as mm. one who runs a program with about 70 hurt girls. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> you, you do feel like expelling a few, but um, I continually have to tell myself their outward actions are a response of an inward hurt and pain. Yeah. Um, and that's the record that goes over my head when yeah, I want right. to get cranky. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, and wow. so, yeah, it's hard. I wonder then if you can give us some closing closing thoughts on these four episodes of of the podcast, uh, focusing particularly on conversations you had over in DC. Um, give us give us some give us some uh, some thoughts about the future. I asked you at the beginning of the first episode, the first in the series, about what you carried back with you. What what would you lo- love to see? Um, the listeners and, and others who sort of carry a similar passion to you, what would you like them? What would you like to see released in our nation? Yeah, I came back again, as I said in the first episode, really strengthening what we're doing. Mm. Um, just how much the sex industry, the porn industry, it's predatory, it's going after. Um, and a lot of the girls that we're dealing with in our city, you know, by 11, they've had stuff happen to them. Mm. So I want to get to them younger. Um, It made me realize that what we're doing in our city to help bring healing and life and family to girls is just so important. Um, And then the other challenge, and someone said at the conference, um, they said, you want to change the world? Well, the world's changing every minute, you know, every day. Um, And even in our city women office, like what are young people facing? What are they into? Mm. It does change just about every day because there's a new blooming app out there (laughs) or something, new words. Mm. Uh, So the challenge is, yes, how do we be the family of God and bring healing Mm. uh, and help these girls at the point of rape at the church lock in uh, and surround them? So they don't end up, you know, I tell our, our leaders, we are, um, we are stopping these younger girls from entering the sex industry by mm. endorsing their value, by healing yeah. them. Um, and so that's really important. But then just being aware of what is facing our young people mm. so we can mm. speak into it. And that's a tough job. Yeah. <laughs> speaking, speaking both, just reflecting on particularly this last interview, reflecting on being um, or thinking or speaking as a parent 
and as a pastor and and playing a leadership role in both those communities that I talked about, uh, family and church. For me, I think it's not it's not rocket science in just needing to have the conversation, actually say the words out loud in mm-hmm. the presence of your communities. Mm-hmm. Hey, you know, we're going to talk about these mm-hmm. things. We're going to talk about sexting. We're going to talk mm. about prostitution. We're mm. going to talk about pornography. We're going to talk about sexuality, all that sort of thing. And, and actually not keeping it silent because we're embarrassed or fearful or think it's... I, th- I think in this situation, it's actually better to err on the side of inappropriateness than to be silent because we fear it's not appropriate. Absolutely. Do you know what I mean? Uh, look, I mean, I, wherever I travel, I speak a lot on the porn issue and what we're mm. doing. And the amount of people who come up and say, that's the first time I've ever heard about yeah. that. Thank you for speaking about something that is real in our mm. lives. Like I think sometimes some of our preaching has nothing to do with yeah. where people are That's at. good. <laughs> so that's encouragement. Mums, dads, pastors, mm. err on the side of inappropriateness. Total. That's Look, the takeaway. <laughs> that's, uh, and that will still be um, very lame to them because totally. what they're seeing and hearing is... But what you might be preventing yeah, in totally. the long run totally. is worth it. Yep. No, good one. Great interviews. Um, great a lot of great fun. to see you back with, with the fire in your belly still. Uh, you've been doing this for a long time and so it's important to be re-inflamed. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, well, power on. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs>